Welcome to 1202, the Human Factors Podcast. The podcast that covers all things about humans, technology, technology. and particularly the bits in between. And welcome to this episode of 1202 The Human Factors Podcast with me, your host, Barry Kirby. Um, Before we get into today's interview, just a quick push from me to highlight that the last episode, the coverage from EHF 2022, um, is obviously now live. Hopefully you've seen that. Um, This is the first time I've attempted to do an episode that pulls together multiple interviews and delivering them on both audio and video. It was very much a learning curve for me, and I think that's, that's quite obvious in the output, but I'd be really keen to get your feedback. Um, as well as any advice, if any of you out there do this sort of thing, um, using multiple interviews, do, using um, the video software in particular, um, if you've got any advice for the way I could improve it in the future, I'm really open to do that. Those who are long-time listeners know that this is all a very much a learning curve, and um, we're all on this journey together. But also, if you want to hear more about um, what we got up to in, in EHF 2022, then over on Human Factors Cast this week, Nick Rome's uh, in, in, uh, interviewed me as with my president-elect hat on and has woven some more of the interviews that I've got. So go over there um, on Thursday or any time after Thursday and listen to that interview. And if any of you are patrons uh, patrons on Human Factors Cast, he's also putting up the, the full interviews I did with all the people I interviewed as well. So there's loads of content come out of that. Anyway... Back to this episode. As you may know, I've been doing a lot of work, really, to try and bring the news and views, not only from the UK, uh, but internationally, with the main aim of broadening our horizons a bit and realising that why, while we might be on a project or um, as part of a team or a small team, or you might be a single human factors practitioner on a project, it can feel a bit lonely. But there is a great UK-wide network, um, as we've ju- just heard about with Eve went to the ergonomics conference and things like that in the UK. There is that network there, but there is a, a fantastic international set of networks too. So this is why today I'm really pleased to be able to reach out across the pond to the USA and talk to uh, talk to Chris Reed, who is a human factors and ergonomics uh, technical fellow at Boeing, but he's also the current president of HFES, or the Human Factors and Ergonomics Society out in the States. Chris, welcome and thank you ever so much for joining us. Hey, Barry. Thanks for having me. So... Before we get into the nitty-gritty of what, what is HFES and what does what what is that all about, um, I'd like to learn a bit more about you and your background, if that's okay. So, what is it? What is your current role, and what do you do on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, so I'm currently a technical fellow for the Boeing Company in the Environment, Health, and Safety Organization. Um, my focus is in human factors and ergonomics, uh, primarily for production and, and I guess you could say maintenance systems. So we have different divisions or business units. Um, within the company from commercial to defense to service. Uh, And so I work across all three of those divisions or business units, uh, looking at ways to improve uh, production safety, service safety, um, and typically around wearable technology. So I I tend to bridge the gap between safety ergonomics and technology intervention um, for mitigation strategies. Well, that's and certainly wearable technology is um is a real flavor of the month at the moment, isn't it? There seems to be so much potential and so much drive in it. Um, mm-hmm. How did you, you know, I mean, to become a, a bit a Boeing technical fellow? I mean, that that's a heck of a journey. How did you get started? What 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 was your interest in human factors in the first place? Yeah, so I actually kind of stumbled into human factors. Uh, so my undergrad was in uh, computer systems engineering under electrical engineering. I went to the University of Central Florida in Orlando, Florida. Um, and my first job was actually as a computer systems engineer 
working for a facilities management organization. So think of like organizations that build software to maintain buildings, right? That's yeah. essentially what it is. Uh, and so we were working on the software. My job was, you know, doing database systems and uh, the front end with uh, the website. And so one of the things I thought about after I graduated was, you know, what else could I do to give me an extra edge um, on the software, make it more user friendly? I started hearing about that stuff. And so I took classes um, for a certificate program in human engineering. Some of those classes were like usability, um, looking at human systems interface, human computer interface, things like that. Um, that ended up growing into a PhD, um, a master's and, and a PhD later um, in human engineering and ergonomics. Um, but it was like I was saying, it was kind of a stumbling block. At the time, I was just coming out of um, computer systems engineering field um, and I ended up getting laid off and so that's where that layoff uh, went into like a full-time approach towards the PhD, and I just went down home and, and finished that. Wow, it, there's an awful lot of similarities here. That because um, I sort of did a similar thing. My background is engineering as well, and it's amazing how many people you talk to who seem to find human factors just almost by accident. Um, and, mm-hmm. and even with the you know the growth of UX um, and and that sort of side of things as well still people just seem to stumble into it rather than than it be you know nobody seems to want to grow up to be an ergonomist they all want to be um, <laughs> um, astronauts and um, and firefighters and things so yeah I, th- well, I guess that's something we need to look at yeah and I'm not gonna lie to you so when I did that transition from the certificate program to the, the full degree um, the the PhD I took a class in ergonomics and it just so happened that the capstone for that class was at NASA's Kennedy Space Center. And so wow. we had the opportunity to, to work on a, a, a real-world project. In this case, it was the uh, Leonardo Multipurpose Logistics Module that was going in the back of a space shuttle. Uh, and they were basically loading it up with all the arrays, you know, the scientific panels and everything that go inside the module. And so my job as basically this capsule, me and my team, were basically to look at the ergonomics of, you know, the people doing that work, you know, Think of that massive module it's a cylinder yeah. uh, and you got to put stuff inside that hollow center and so they had like catwalks going through the middle and people hanging off um, the catwalks and and then moving the this giant module and the ergonomics involved with that and so it was absolutely fascinating i, I it killed me when it came to ergonomics and afterwards i was basically stuck so <laughs> i think my childhood you know star trek fantasies came through at that point, and I was like, "All right, I found the field. I'm good." See, yeah, you've sort of, for long-term listeners to to this podcast will know I have a real thing about the space um, industry, and I think that's one of the, I guess, the downsides of being over in the UK. We don't have ac- the similar sort of access to, um, you know, NASA, SpaceX, them sort of organisations that, um, quite frankly, I would sell my my um, all my children to be able to do <laughs> such a thing. Just don't tell them that. Um, yeah. So By the way, if you do happen to hear my youngest screaming in the background, she's just waking up. I was hearing her earlier. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, well, it's one of the things about certainly about working from home at the moment, isn't it? It's um, uh, yeah. we, we're all so used to it. Um, so you started off. You, you're inspired by that initial work working with NASA and 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 your degree. What's been the career path from there? Where where you started from there? How have you got to where you're at now? Yeah. So um, after I did that transition, um, while I was finishing my PhD, I did three internships with the Boeing company because Boeing basically sparked my career at that point. 
Um, it was an, uh, that capstone was through Boeing at Kennedy Space Center. Um, so I did three internships, uh, finishing up. I did them all in the manufacturing area for commercial airplanes. Um, and they were out in the Washington location, which is where our biggest sites are. Um, and from there, graduated. Unfortunately, at the time, there was an economy um, flop in 2008, 2009. Mm. Um, you remember that, that bubble burst. And there were massive layoffs at the time happening around the world and around the country. Um, and so I, I didn't unfortunately get to go back full-time with Boeing, but my first gig um, after spending a year unemployed was basically working with the U.S. Army. Um, so I was hired in as a human factors engineer for the Army. Uh, from there, got a job with Lockheed Martin. Um, and so the first job with the Army was in Massachusetts at one of their um, research facilities there. Uh, then moved to the NASA side of the house um, with Lockheed Martin in, in Houston at Johnson Space Center uh, and spent several years there as a human factors and ergonomics discipline lead. And then Boeing um, came calling, came back to Boeing right around the end of 2015 um, and started my, my technical leadership, I guess, career from there. So I, I came in as a technical lead engineer at the time. Um, and then that led to more senior positions like associate tech fellow and then technical fellow. Cool. They, um, my um, technical um, jealousy radar is just raging at the moment. Um, that's, that's a really cool um, way of, sh of showing that you can have the, um, you know, if you, if you take the right opportunities um, really early on um, and make the most of them, just exactly how that sort of uh, that career uh, can progress. Um, we're just going to take a really quick break, and then I want to get into a bit more about the sort of some of the project work you've been doing, and then get into the HFES bit it, itself and and work out um, basically tell people a bit more about what you do there. So we'll just be back right after this brief break. Sounds good. You are listening to Twelve O Two, the Human Factors Podcast. We wanted to take the opportunity to say thank you for your support. You can help further by rating us through your podcast provider, sharing us through social media, and telling your friends and colleagues. Let's work together in raising awareness of the value in putting users at the center of what we do. And welcome back. I'm here with Chris Reed, the current president of HFES. So, Chris, what what sort what's been the most memorable project you've been involved with to date? I think by default, you know, I would say the current stuff that I'm working on, which is you know dealing with exoskeleton technologies in the production workforce for Boeing as well as international organizations and national organizations, helping them along. But while that's admirable, I have to say the most memorable for me was when I was at Johnson Space Center. Um, at the time as discipline lead, um, we were trying to understand astronaut injuries and how they happen while doing spacesuit related activities or EVAs, extracurricular activities, um, as well as on the ground while they're doing trainings, um, like in the neutral buoyancy lab, the, the giant swimming pool in Houston. Um, and so, you know, I was tasked to basically do a massive, you know, data analysis project. We took about 30 years of historical data stuff that was stashed away in papers um, in giant vaults, um, pulled that stuff together, mixed it with digital information from near current um, uh, information. And that basically spanned between 1980 uh, data and 2010 data. 
basically when current EVA technologies came online uh, with the extravehicular mobility unit spacesuit, the big puffy white suit that you see in orbit. Mm -hmm. um, so that was basically my you know pet project for about four years. <laughs> um, so understanding how injuries were happening, understanding where they were happening, who they were happening to, basically data analytics, looking at pattern signs. Um, and that eventually, those that data project led into the uh, technology development side of the house where we actually built custom wearable computers um, and wearable sensor units that were um, embedded into uh, garments, essentially. So we, we took, think of like Under Armour garments yeah. and modified those garments with electronic technology um, and put sensors around the arms and the fingers because in particular, I was studying um, fingernail delamination. Or right. Basically, your fingernails dropping off from working um, in those environments. And man, it was absolutely mind-boggling how much how hard it was to condense, you know, large nuggets of, of technology that you would think is, think of like, uh, uh, you know, like uh, oxygen sensors that you put on the tip of your finger mm, yeah, yeah. to look at the blood oxygenation level. And there's these little clips that go on, pretty cool tech, right? Yeah. Now imagine condensing that into something that could fit on a fingernail. Wow, um, that's cool. So we had to create new technologies and new capabilities at the same time look at how we can squeeze it into the spacesuit gloves and, you know, go up the wrist. And we ended up putting the computers down on the lower back. Um, and it was absolutely mind-blowing. Now, take that complexity, um, put it into an oxygenated environment, squeeze it into a spacesuit, and put it 40 <laughs> feet underwater. <laughs> and, and the complexity is mind-blowing. Yeah. And I think the, the only thing harder than that was actually getting it to space. And, and so... <laughs> It was it was absolutely amazing. We got it on. It took about three years of work. We basically created a an injury detection system yeah. that you can embed inside space. It was the first time um, anybody's ever done that because normally you try and keep hazards away from the astronauts, mm -hmm. but we just embedded them with a bunch of electricity <laughs> and stuck them in oxygen and underwater. So it was it was completely mind blowing. It was the most memorable project ever. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> Just to have, yeah, them, them sort, that sort of scale of project and that, um, that, well, there's always something really cool about trend setting in, in that way. They, I can see why that sticks with you. Um, mm -hmm. If we get into HFES a bit then, um, so here, here in the UK, we have the Chad Institute of Ergonomics and Human Factors, which is our professional body here. Can you describe HFES to us about and what, what that is and, and, um, and how it works for you? Yeah, yeah. So the Human Factors Ergonomics Society started in 1957. It, it stemmed out of World War II. Um, if you think of the time, you know, we were making all these amazing gadgets, essentially war machines, um, to help with the, the battles of the time. And understanding from those, those designs and those failures and those successes, the field of human factors was bred. You basically had systems design. Mm -hmm. um, that came out of it and designing systems for people. That's essentially the crux of what human factors and, and ergonomics is. So designing for mental and physical capacities. Um, and so from 1957, the, the population grew. It later on included physical ergonomics beyond just cognitive interface. Uh, and here we are today, we're around 3,500 people um, in the U.S. as well as internationally. Um, we have 26 technical groups or, or specialty fields. Um, anywhere from aerospace on one end to virtual environments on the other end. 
we have affinity groups that look at um, essentially organizations uh, or affinity for, for people in marginalized communities, you know, from uh, LGBTQ to women and minorities uh, to people who are in disability um, situations. And so we try to capture all that. And then within where I am with the executive council, uh, we have a, a ton of committees, essentially the infrastructure that keeps things churning. Um, <clears throat> so that's that's basically the crux of, of HFES. And then it fits under the hierarchy where you fit in, Barry, with the Chartered Institute, the hierarchy of International Ergonomics Association, which is sort of like the, the United Nations of <laughs> connecting us all together. Yeah, and I guess that's a really cool thing, is it, that we do have that overarching body that um, links us all together. It's not um, just a bunch of disparate um, organisations. There is a sort of level of coordination or um, uh, engagement there. Um, as you said, you sit on the executive committee, you're, you're president. So what made you run for president? Because that's quite a... That's, uh, certainly, as you said, the, the undertaking of the, the, the organisation of HFE is, is huge. So why did you want to become president? Yeah, you know, it was interesting at the time I was finishing up my term as secretary treasurer. Um, and obviously that's more on fiduciary duties, but at the same time I was also running um, uh, symposiums like ErgoX and it was a, an absolute pleasure to look at, you know, technology development and blending that in with human centered design. And that was on the technology sort of side. But then at the same time, you know, there were, there was a social movement happening. We had the George Floyd event happening. Um, in 2020, this was the, the year I ran. Um, you know, I, I can remember sitting on the couch uh, a couple days after that event and watching the news with my wife and my, my oldest daughter. Um, I think she was she was seven at the time. And so she was asking what's going on with the situation. Why is this happening to this individual? My wife and I had this deer in the headlights look. We just were like, oh, crap, we don't know what to tell her. <laughs> and And so... You know, at that, that point, I kind of reached out to, to the HFES world in, in the in the blog area and the communities pages, just kind of asked that question out to the world. I don't know what to say. And so that kind of started formalizing, you know, the combination of, of that with, you know, I think HFES should be more impactful on, on the U.S. Mm -hmm. and on the world. We can do more with human factors and ergonomics. Started making me want to run and say, all right, we need to shape HFE and HFES to be more impactful than it is today. And in this case, this was 2020. Yeah. Um, so those those combination of events kind of sparked my my passion to move beyond the secretary treasurer, which is, you know, mainly just looking at the financial side of the house and making sure we're stable there to, you know, utilizing those resources and more to be more impactful on, on society in general. So Obviously, you've had that event, and that, that's been your motivation for doing it. It's, I guess it's a, especially with the size of HFES, you can't just sort of rock up and say, I want to be elected. Um, what, <laughs> what do you have to do? You, what's, the, what's the process involved? Can, can anyone do it? Or Yeah, so you're looking at basically full members who can run, um, and there really isn't that much more in criteria beyond them. There's, uh, there's none... I guess, uh, non-required stuff that's out there. So right. most people look at people with more experience, right? So the candidates that tend to win tend to have senior experience. They tend to be primarily on the academic side because these are usually our professors and the people who teach us 
our science and they tend to run more often than say practitioners. I was coming at it from a different bend where I was looking at it from a practitioner sense where I felt we needed to do go beyond just the science and become uh, more impactful in government and industry and public um, public facing activities in order to put the name out there, in order to put human factors on the map beyond just in a journal or in a publication. Yep. Um, and so doing that, um, campaigning, um, reaching out to members, sending messages, saying, here's why you should vote for me. Here's the experience that I have. You know, coming in as at the time as an associate technical fellow, you know, technical fellows in general, they're known for one thing within the Boeing company as well as outside the, the Boeing company. They're known for getting things done. Um, that's essentially why you, you become a technical fellow. It's because you have a really good knack, <clears throat> excuse me, a really good knack for solving problems. Right. And usually they're extremely big problems. Um, and so having that experience under my belt, you know, I, I, I felt I could add something to human factors and HFES by getting the organization to move into a more impactful state of mind. Um, and we're starting to slowly do that. So you mentioned the um, the George Floyd event and and what happened there. How has that work on equality, diversity, inclusion, or EDI influenced your direction and what you've done to date? Yeah, there's there's been a number of things. So while I was finishing my term as Secretary Treasurer, we started working on essentially a series of action items, um, things that we could do within society to better the society itself within its membership, um, as well as, you know, potentially outside. So, you know, from a, a policy standpoint, so we have government relations committee, they were looking at opportunities to uh, help with human factors um, in, in government policy in general. But then we also looked at, hey, do we have any opportunities uh, dealing with diversity, equity, inclusion, or um, or EDI, equity, diversity, inclusion, on the UK side, as you guys uh, dub it. Um, and that's where it started there. We also looked at ways we could finance research within human factors and, and that area. Um, so we created scholarships. Um, we came together to see how we could do discussion around these topics. So we created the listening and acting um, webinar series and that started in 2020 and it's had a couple of different uh, webinars since then mm -hmm. and the idea around that is to basically understand these different niches from healthcare and how diversity and equity problems might be involved in healthcare to education um, to all these different nuances to you know mental health all these different areas kept popping up and so since then you know there's a ton of stuff we've been doing Barry like there's stuff that we embedded in my strategic roadmap that we created last year. There's just continuous learning opportunities. You know, we had publications on this and it, it's just the tip of the iceberg because there's so much more work to do. I mean, that's really good. The fact that it isn't, you're kind of not treating it in many ways as a, as a special event. You're integrating it into what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis while still flying the flag for it. That's, um, that's really inspiring. Um, yeah. In the future of human factors, um, obviously we we've we've got a lot going on and stuff. But what's the most exciting thing that you can sort of see on the on the horizon? What what, what could you see that we really need to get stuck into? You know, after all the stuff that I mentioned, I think the most fascinating thing that I didn't realize until probably earlier this year was the push for advocacy. You know, so before 
I came in, we had the Government Relations Committee, which their job is to basically sit in Washington, D.C., at Capitol Hill, and advocate for human factors right. um, and ergonomics and, and help get that into policy. Interesting enough, that's at the, the national level, at the federal level, but it's not at the state level. And so what we're, we're seeing you know, across the 50 states, there may be opportunities that pop up to create ergonomics policy. Most recently in Washington state, uh, earlier this year, there was a, a policy um, up for ballot uh, in the Senate, in the House for the state, uh, looking at ergonomics and, and reinstating ergonomics, which was historically there around 1998 to 2001, right around that time period at the federal level, um, that no longer exists in the U.S. So you have a handful of states that have ergonomics policies um, and regulations in place. And so this didn't end up going through for Washington State, but it will likely come back on ballot again in 2023 or later in 22. Um, so that's looking at it from a government relations perspective. Yeah. What I wanted to do beyond that was basically broaden that lens and look at, okay, how can we uh, improve public perception, public relations? Uh, how can we help with industry relations? So we created some new committees. We uh, created the industry advisory board, which is brand new. It's, it's starting up. It's how do we get industry um, leadership to the table so that we understand their situation, um, their concerns, their problems, and then at the same time, create a two-way avenue of communication and say, here are opportunities with human factors. And, oh, thank you for that information we didn't realize. Let's go back, study it, put a publication, or put some kind of mitigation in place that can help industry. Um, and in fact, Boeing is, is the first to the table for uh, the partners program. We created the HFES partners program with industry, um, with Boeing being the, um, the initial member. Um, Beyond that, we had you know the public relations. So just this month, the executive council approved a public relations firm. So hiring a public relations firm. So that includes media relations as well. Um, so that's looking at it from the standpoint of, you know, how do we uh, tie into uh, trade organizations? Think of you know any kind of um, traditional publications, paper publications like magazines, all the way to um, any digital format. Um, how do we tie into media? So just yesterday, for example, um, we had our, our Boeing Starliner launch, right? Um, that was a huge media sensation. So imagine someone being on television talking about the human factors behind those that launch and the astronauts and what they're seeing and the perceptions around design. You know, that's essentially, to me, like a, a grand leap, um, moving human factors into mainstream media so that it becomes common vernacular. Yeah. Um, it was quite interesting watching um, astronaut Sunny Williams. She was on because she's part of the first crew that's coming up. And she actually mentioned the word ergonomics because they're doing a, a talk or they're doing, excuse me, a summer uh, validation event prior right. to the actual launch. And she was talking about going in and testing out the systems, validating the systems, testing the ergonomics. And I was like, wait, I have to rewind that. What did she say? Actually said the word. <laughs> she, she said the key word. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, who's paying her for that? That was, <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> so, yep. yeah, that, that's what I'm talking about, you know, getting it to that point where it becomes 
commonplace for us to talk ergonomics more than just the chair we sit in. Yeah, I, I th and I think that's one of the big things, isn't it? I mean, certainly with, with some of the space launches I've been watching um, recently and you sort of get on Twitter and you start um, commenting on things, you can sort of see some of the, you know, the general comments coming out, but when you get a bunch of ergonomists on, on Twitter um, or Facebook, I'll pick, pick your um, network of choice, um, you, you, you quite quickly almost get into the nitty-gritty of, well, how they're controlling that, what are they doing with that? And we need that to be that broader conversation, don't we, to get people to realise, I think, that, um, you know, all this interface isn't, you know, it shouldn't be just defined as what you see. It, you, we can all influence it in some way. And if we make that part of that main, mainstream conversation, then then that's really cool. So given what you're saying around that, that connectivity and, and talking together, we can talk a lot easier now, and the fact that we can do this discussion over, um, over, um, over the pond, as it were, and and have have this sort of debate quite easily. What can we do more to support the global human factors community? Yeah, you know, going back to those three major, um, I guess you could say, uh, advocacy methods. So, you know, public relations uh, slash media relations. Uh, government relations, um, industry relations, those are all um, equal opportunities yeah. internationally. I, I kind of dubbed this stuff like the circle of life, you know, going back to I'm a 1980s kid. So, you know, the, <laughs> the Lion King made a huge impression on me. Um, but it's about the ecosystem, essentially, right? Yeah. It's managing the ecosystem and growing the ecosystem so that you essentially provide um, solutions and, and opportunities and mix that with gaps and needs. Um, on the service or on some kind of product side. Um, and so that can be done, you know, agnostically. It, it can be done from any country, from any perspective. Yeah. And so when you're, you're balancing that, that's essentially where you're looking both at, at regional, national, and international relations and seeing how we can find common factors or, or, or common uh, needs and opportunities to work with each other. Um, I recently had a, a webinar with uh, with Dr. Jose um, uh, Gomez, who's Jose Orlando is essentially he's out of Brazil. He's a human factors professor um, in Sao Paulo, uh, and so he's down there. Also, happening to wear the hat for president of IEA, International Ergonomics Association. So we had a webinar last month talking about international relations and how HFES can interact more with IEA and how members could get involved. And so, you know, Jose is is basically looking at ways to do these different interactions. Being that both of us are on this side of the pond, um, we were looking at ways to improve potentially third world countries and, you know, basically look at human factors and ergonomics for those opportunities in the Caribbean, as well as in Latin America. And so we're, we're looking at ways to take advantage of technology um, do webinars and activities that are within time zones or across time zones um, that might include, uh, you know, cross, uh, I guess you could say cross-disciplinary or, or across borderlines mm -hmm. um, topics. Um, one of the things I, I brought up recently because of my, my background in exoskeletons, I saw some work happening in Brazil and sent that over to Jose and he saw that, you know, this was stuff happening in construction um, roadway construction. And, and so that was where, you know, those are common topics where you look at labor, um, you look at healthcare. These are ways that we can kind of cross pollinate with each other. That's really cool. And I think, yes, we've got to grow um, 
we've almost got to break down them boundaries um, and make sure that we are sharing that knowledge um, for, for everybody's sake. I think that's absolutely spot on. Um, clearly, you're going to have things you've outlined. You're going to have a great legacy um, as your time as president. But what have you not done yet? Is there things there that you still want to achieve? Is there things that you actually want to um, still go out and do before before it's all over? Yeah, so in October, I actually transitioned to immediate past president. It's my last year of my three-year term, um, and uh, Professor Carolyn Summer will, will take my place as president. Um, and so in my, I guess, my sunset year, you can call it, um, I'm, I'm really looking at, you know, how do we uh, cement our place with, with partners in industry? And so I'm, I'm going to be spending more time bring in additional partnerships to HFES and to human factors. Again, thinking at it from an ecosystem perspective, how do we create job opportunity mm -hmm. um, with organizations so that we can have human factors practitioners like myself and like you, Barry, embedded in these organizations and in these companies? It has to come from the top, so we have to be able to speak the language of the C-suite of the executives so that they understand how important the role of human factors plays in their product design and and their systems designs. And that creates job opportunity, creates funding and research opportunity. At the same time, you can do that at the, the government side or at the university side. So lots of work to be done there. I don't think I'll I'll be, you know, by the time my year's up, I don't think I'll be finished, but at least we can start scratching the itch. That's how, yeah, it's, it sounds like it's gonna be um, that really ongoing, ongoing piece. And if you can get it kicked off and driving, then yeah, I completely agree. Um, from a very selfish perspective, um, I kind of want to pick your brains because I'm going to, I've been uh, elected as president-elect of the CIHF and obviously next year I'll, I'll pick up uh, our presidency. With what you've been through, uh, what you're going through and what, what you've been through, um, have you got any advice or you've got any tips of things that I should be doing or maybe avoiding um, in my year? <laughs> so the, I would say that the presidency is daunting. Um, at first, it, it overwhelms you with, oh, crap, I have all this stuff in front of me. <laughs> what am I going to do? It's like now that you, you assume the helm, you, you're like, oh, wait, I'm in charge. What do I need to do? <laughs> um, so fortunately, you know, you're coming into an elect position. You have a, a year that you can shadow your, your uh, predecessor with and start gaining your, your foothold. Um, beyond that, what I would recommend is something that I didn't realize until you know the last couple of years is how much a role politics plays in your, your day in and day out. Uh, so understand the needs of, of your council, your members, spend a lot of time talking to people. I, I can't tell you how often I'm on late at night um, working different time zones or early in the morning like we are right now, just talking, you know, yep. just reaching out and understanding everybody's needs and then seeing what I could do on the, essentially the operation side of the house with the, the executive leaders to move towards that, move towards uh, solving the problems and the needs that people have. Um, getting the organization into a more, um, I guess you could say, a, you know, agile, and reliable state is not easy, but you can take one step at a time and understand that you probably won't be able to, you know, bite off the whole apple, but you can take a bite out of the apple a couple bites at a time. And by the time you're done, hopefully it's in a better position for your successors. They come along than when you got it originally. So just look at it from that perspective. You're doing incremental continuous improvement. 
Well, I shall um, take that on indeed. I think the uh, that's only that idea that that communication thing I think is is just probably so vital. Um, and hopefully, with the you know the these sort of technologies and things that we can use now, that should be sort of easier. Um, but as long as we keep on doing it, um, mm-hmm. no, thank you very much for that advice. I, I really appreciate it. Um, so now we're going to the final three questions. Um, so I ask these questions of everybody I interview. Um, just because it makes my life a bit easier and, and, and quite quite amusing. Um, do you have a favourite book or a paper? Now, this can be technical or it can be fiction, you know, because I know some people go back, back to the fiction books, um, that you go back to repeatedly all the time that you keep keep using. I'm going to give you a double answer to this one. So um, non-fiction-wise, I, I fall back on my, my – Cromer, Cromer, Cromer book, uh, which is basically ergonomics, how to design for ease and efficiency. Um, that was that during that fundamental time where I realized ergonomics actually matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I wanted to pursue the field. And I still reference that book all the time. You know, in my day job, when I'm looking at situations at hand, I, I still refer to it. I have tons of tabs in there <laughs> where I just quickly, oh, what's energy? Let me look at the energy section or let's look at the biomechanics section or any of those areas. Um, <clears throat> so I would say that, that's my go-to book all the time. Cool. Now on the nonfiction side, there's the inspiration side and I, I tend to move my head for this. So I don't know if you can see that back <laughs> yes. there. That, that yeah. tends to be my inspiration. I was up late last night watching the new Star Trek series. Um, right. uh, what is it? Final Frontier, I think it's called. Um, that's out on Paramount. Uh, and so my, my parents are in town. And so I was, I was basically, it was a weird moment because the, the premise of the show is it's like pre um, William Shatner, pre um, Captain Kirk, right. with Christopher Pike. Um, it's around the time when my dad was watching that stuff. So I was watching it with my dad and it was kind of like a, a an amalgam of 1960s, type Star Trek mixed with present day Star Trek, you know, current technologies and capabilities. So it was was an interesting moment that keeps me inspired (laughs) to keep pushing the boundaries. So the combination, I would say. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. Um, So if you could go back to your younger self um, and go and have a chat with Chris, I don't know, about 16, maybe something like that. um, What advice would you give yourself for then? You know, it's it's not going to be easy. There's been a lot of stumbling blocks that I had to go through. Um, I would say, you know, don't give up hope. Um, there's going to be tons of struggles that you're going to go through. Some of them will be extremely depressing, but you can pick yourself up. You can move on and persevere. And I would say the hard work and the diligence will, will pay off in the end. Brilliant. And just because it, make, again, makes my life slightly easier. Have you got any suggestions about who else I should get into the hot seat? Who else I should interview on this podcast, do you think? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to give you a, a, a standard name in industry right now. She's a, a hot name out there. So Micah Inslee, um, Dr. Inslee is part of my, well, she leads our government relations committee. Um, she's also known for situation awareness. She's essentially one of the founders in that field. Uh, and so she's president of SA Technologies. I would say standard issue, human factors. Let's talk to Micah. Cool. Beyond Micah, um, I would, you know, put on my Boeing hat and say, why not talk to somebody cool? So you have uh, Captain Mike Bryan. Um, Mike is actually above me. So I'm a technical fellow in the organization. Mike is one of our senior tech fellows. Um, he happens to be a chief pilot and a human factors practitioner. Um, 
when you talk cool stuff, he can tell you things from his military days, right. um, working fighter craft to what he does on the commercial side now. So that would be an interesting take. Both of them sound really fascinating, and hopefully we can do something about uh, potentially teeing that up. Um, mm-hmm. Chris, I recognise your time is, is really precious. You're really busy. I really appreciate you taking the time today um, to chat to us, not only about your own background and, and your own drive, but actually um, educate. I, I've learned new stuff around HFES and, and how that operates and hopefully how we can um, cooperate um, better in the future. So thank you ever so much for your time. And hopefully um, this this interview will be going out fairly soon. And um, yeah, just really appreciate your all of your input. Hey, thanks, Barry. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you. Find me whenever you need me. Take care. Thank you for listening to 1202, the Human Factors Podcast. Please do get in touch with your thoughts, questions, and comments. You can contact us on social media such as Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook at 1202 Podcast. See you next time. And remember, it's more than just common sense.